Dang it. Dang it. Come on. Snap. <laughs> Having trouble snapping your fingers? 42 years of existence on this planet Earth, a lifetime of finger coordination from playing video games, and I could never learn to snap my fingers. And and now we need it more than ever. I only have one response. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast and happy Halloween season to everybody out there. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. 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 <laughs> Quackula. Wait, no. <laughs> no, no. We got to get ourselves as far away from that as we can. That show's so bad. Like the power glove. But it's also that time of year where we start thinking about Scooby-Doo again, because it's been almost a year since we looked at Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Zoinks! Yeah, we're, we're thinking... looking for you. Scooby, Scooby-Doo, where are you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm thinking we might make this an annual thing, even if we don't necessarily do the mysteries as a whole. Roughly annually, Scooby around late October, early November. It just feels right. I'm 100% on board with that. I love Scooby. As do I. Most of Scooby. <laughs> yeah, most of Scooby. Oh, that means someday we're going to have to get into the bad Scooby. Yeah, but I think after this one, we're going to break a chronological order. I don't know. I can think of some pretty good episodes for the following series. Okay, well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when... We'll when we get there, or more appropriate in this case, open that secret passage of the wall when we get to it. Today, we got an extra, well, conceptually, it should be extra spooky episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, and we will uh, explain why in just a moment, though. Obviously, you can read the, t the podcast description, so you, it's probably not going to be much of a surprise. And the opening gag also probably gave it away a bit. But first, we have our usual prescript to get through. When we last saw America's favorite Great Dane, he was the star of one of the single most successful Saturday morning cartoons, which, again, we reviewed last year. The demand for more Scooby from Fred Silverman at CBS was as strong as the demand for more mystery shows across all three big networks in general. And Hanna-Barbera was all too happy to supply both. However, they now expanded to a whole hour format. Well, kinda. Yeah, kinda. And with so many other mystery shows out there, Scooby's own show was deemed in need of a new hook to keep the formula fresh. So here come the guest stars! Which, coincidentally, the last Scooby TV series they did also did this. <laughs> yeah, more on that in the postscript. Now, for the new Scooby-Doo movies, yes, movies, which is where the hour-long format comes into play, these guests fell into two different categories, real personalities or fictional characters. And sometimes dead personalities. <laughs> yeah. In the category of real personalities, you have reasonably relevant folks for the era like 
Cass Elliot, Sandy Duncan, Davy Jones, Dick Van Dyke, and Sonny and Cher. And in the case of the Three Stooges and Laurel and Hardy, celebrity impersonators taking the place of retired or passed on personalities. You know, it really, I think the weirdest thing about the whole Laurel and Hardy one is just, it's like, hey guys, it's Laurel and Hardy. I'm like, hey guys, you should be freaking out. Those people are dead. (laughs) Essentially, yeah. No no two ways about it. Now, on the fictional side, you had stars from Hanna-Barbera's current roster of cartoons on Saturday morning. Specifically, Josie and the Pussycats, Speed Buggy, and Genie which is, of course, based on the sitcom I Dream of Genie, and featured the first time Mark Hamill would appear opposite the Scooby gang. More on that later, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we can't forget the most famous fictional crossover Scooby-Doo had for this era, Batman and Robin. It was so nice they did it twice. Yeah. Interesting thing about that is, uh, or at least to me, I think that's interesting about that is they hired the same pe- the same two voice actors that played uh, Batman and Robin from the filmation Batman and Robin cartoon, which was Alan's uh, Owen Sal and uh, Casey Kasem. Oh, right, Casey, Casey Kasem was already on the show, so yeah, yeah, well, it wasn't too much of a stretch. Still neat that that kind of happened, and they even kept them in like the Super Friends. Hmm. Straddling the line between real and fictional were the Harlem Globetrotters, certainly a real-life basketball team, but this was based more on their Saturday morning incarnations and not the actual traveling athletic entertainers. So uh, one of them was voiced by Scatman Crothers, which yep. is pretty awesome. Now, how the cart- this cartoon made use of their guests was a mixed bag. Uh, I-, I think looking at the animation in this show i think a majority of the money went to the uh paying the guests and not the hour-long animation format yeah now sometimes they actually came across some neat ideas like when jonathan winters popped up it allowed his character maude frickard to actually appear opposite winters himself for a change that's actually a pretty inventive idea hey that's the that's the privilege of voice acting and animation right there yeah And when Batman and Robin popped up, well, it's probably for the best that this was based on what the 66 Batman TV series and the Filmation cartoons did, rather than what Denny O'Neill and others were doing in the comics at the time, or else once Joker ended the scene, it would have been a very short cartoon. Yeah, but also, well, more on that later too, I guess, since that kind of also happened again later a couple Mm -hmm. of times. The real problem probably wasn't just the guests, but that runtime. These were stretched out to an hour in length, but kept the same budget, as far as we can tell anyway, as the original half-hour cartoons. And to be quite frank, they look worse than the previous series, animation-wise. Yeah, simpler animation, more recycled animation, and even recycled monster designs. Even And even the artwork looks sloppy. There, there's a scene in, like, one of the Three Stooges crossover episodes where Daphne's head literally disappears for a couple of frames. Oh, jeez. And even the backgrounds have lost a little bit of their verve. Yeah, everything, actually, everything is just kind of, kind of off because the colors are a lot brighter and less gloomy or, like, the the whole scary kind of atmosphere and aesthetic is kind of missing in comparison to Where Are You? 
At least that's my feelings. Yeah, and I would tend to agree. And it kind of comes off especially odd when paired up with the guests for the episode we're reviewing, the one episode you cannot buy on DVD or Blu-ray or find on digital demand, for, for legal purchase anyway, here in the United States. The episode Wednesday is Missing, starring Charles Adams' creepy, kooky, mysterious, and spooky family. The Adams Family. Yeah. You see, uh, apparently there's a rights dispute between Adams' estate and Time Warner. Probably over money, but uh, who knows what it could be. Does Sony currently have the rights to the Adams Family? I don't remember who made that that Adams Family, those two animated Adams Family movies that I have not seen. Google search. I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen those yet, now that I think about it. Current rights holder would be Metro Goldwyn Mayer, as it turns out. Oh, wow. At least according to Wikipedia. That makes sense. Well, darn. I was going to say this isn't the first time Warner's had issues with copyrights and Sony, but it's not Sony, so darn. Yeah, uh, the 2019 and 2021 films are United Artists. Huh. And Universal and Cybergroup Studios. But not DreamWorks, which is weird since it's Universal. Okay. In fact, I'm seeing just about every major studio except Disney and Sony having some stake in some aspect of the franchise. Well, darn. There went my connection. Still sucks that they can't get that copyright dispute taken care of so that they could release all of them on DVD since that's the only one they're missing now. Yeah. Either way, the only way to catch this is to hope to spot it on reruns on Boomerang or do some tape trading or otherwise pirating, but your quality levels may vary this route. We were lucky to find one that was a HD recording from Boomerang. Yeah, which had the original opening. Some re-airings on Cartoon Network replaced the guest stars in the open with more generic clips from the show. Yeah, and that one always drives me crazy when I see that intro, because it just... It feels so wrong to me, and it, my brain screams because it it's tr- it knows all the things that should be different. As for me, uh, the version we did wind up with uh, had the audio sped up along with the overall speed of the show. As someone who watched so much Scooby-Doo growing up as a kid, the theme song to the new Scooby-Doo movies is carved in marble in my head. It's not going anywhere. So if I hear that bass line pitched up, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. I will say that this does seem to be, like, probably the most... Weirdly, despite the theme song and Where where Are You, this theme song seems to be the one that gets reused the most, or variations of it gets reused the most. Like, there is even a, in like a scene in Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated where Daphne is humming pretty much this theme song. Yeah, it's all about that last note. It just makes such a good ending sting. It does. Let's see. Scooby, Scooby, do. All these messages in here waiting for you. We couldn't have a show without you. Sorry. Speaking of audio, (laughs) yeah. Speaking of audio, our voice cast is just 
loaded. Returning from the second season of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? are, of course, Don Messick as Scooby, Casey Kasem as Shaggy, Frank Welker as Fred, Heather North as Daphne, and Nicole Jaffe making her final appearances as Velma. Yeah, she gets replaced by Pat Stevens in the Scooby-Doo show, which I actually like Pat Stevens. I think she did a good job. Yeah. Anything's better than who takes over her midway in Scooby-Doo and (laughs) Scrappy-Doo. Joining them is much of the original cast of the Addams Family TV series reprising their roles. We've got the inimitable John Astin as Gomez, Carolyn Jones as Morticia, former child actor Jackie Coogan as Uncle Fester, and Ted Cassidy as Lurch. I freaking love anything that John Astin is in because that guy just has this lively, chaotic energy to him in any role he plays. Yeah, he had a very memorable series of guest appearances on Night Court where he, he kept befalling these crazy fates, but he's feeling a lot better now. I'm feeling much better now. Yeah, he was a uh, buddy, uh, Harry's uh, dad. Yep. <laughs> who was constantly visiting from the insane asylum. Says a little bit about Harry. <laughs> See, Also, he was uh, Professor Gangrene from uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And I believe he did a turn on uh, Erie, Indiana. And he was one of the two crocodile hunters in uh, in uh, Tasmania. Oh, like, yeah! Um, he'd also reprised his role as Gomez in the 90s Adams Family cartoon that Hanna-Barbera also did. So That's right. Which I think that cartoon is very underrated. I think it's actually pretty darn good. The rest of the cast is rounded out by uh, some new performers to these characters. Hanna-Barbera veteran Janet Waldo, who's best known as Judy Jetson in Penelope Pitstop, is portraying Grandma Adams, while one of the many Cynthia Hendersons on the IMDb portrays Wednesday. Seriously, there's like three Cynthia Hendersons. Wow. It'd be like looking up John Smith. But most notably, performing Pugsley is Jodie Foster. Wow. Yeah, star of Taxi Driver, the original Freaky Friday, Nell, and several more movies, not to mention her work as a producer and director. Wow, I actually didn't know that. That's, wow. Yeah. You gotta start somewhere. <laughs> yep. So I think that sets us up to dive into the episode. And just to prove how compatible these two character families are, we open on a dark, gloomy night at the Adams Manor with a wolf howling, which without the context of the Adams' being in it, frankly, could be the opening to any number of classic Scooby episodes. Yep. And it's really misty. To... It's like looking through pea soup. Yeah. The, the pea soup figure of speech obviously gets Scooby's attention. Of course, it's food. Yeah. <laughs> However, poor Scooby gets so scared that he ends up jumping, <laughs> ends up somehow going under the seat and into the front seat. Yeah, and and Shaggy got lonely, so he does the same. Boy, he's flexible. Well, he is a gymnast. The quintet mistake a set of headlights for a set of giant glowing eyes, and Scooby's panic leads them into a ditch. A ditch that they're not going to be able to get out of very easily. No. The headlights, meanwhile, belong to an old couple desperate to get away from the eerie old house on the hill. They were hired as housekeepers, but the Frank Welker-voiced male 
insists the residents need haunted housekeepers. Well, I mean, they're not wrong. (laughs) And yeah, that's obviously Frank. (laughs) Using another wolf howl as proof, the couple speeds away as Daphne wonders where she saw that house before. Seems awfully familiar. And then, of course, that's not the only familiar thing as uh, a certain... Frankenstein-esque butler appears to the point of not just scaring Shaggy, but making him instantaneously faint. Yeah, before that, we find out the Vanton's battery is dead. And uh, clearly this was written before Freddy's pride in maintaining the mystery machine was established. (laughs) We get a be more positive joke from Daphne and Velma. And as Shaggy calls them chickens, you know... Of all the people to tempt fate, <laughs> this is what cues lurch. It is. I, I do have to say the the positive joke is actually pretty funny. It's like, yeah, come on, Velma, be more positive. Okay, I'm positive that we're going to be s- stranded all night. <laughs> Long story short, too late. Lurch beckons the gang to follow him, which they're too stunned to argue with, and on the way they're trying to p- place his familiar face. We get some more forced puns as Shaggy's fainting spell is laughed at, and Velma tries to explain the familiarity as deja vu. To which Fred says, looking at this place, you sure you didn't mean deja vu? Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, we apologize uh, to our mutual acquaintance, Sunset Slade. This is a very puntastic episode of the cartoon, and it just can't be avoided. I do have to say one thing. How do you forget a face like Lurch's? Severe head trauma. To all five of them? Fair. More than fair. I'm grasping at straws and uh, coming up with very short straws. Well, after the bad deja vu pun, we do get to see the rest of the family members, or some of the rest of the family members inside the house. As Gomez is so upset, he is literally literally walking up the wall. And down it. Morticia and Wednesday are contentedly seen to their craftsmanship of a four-armed sweater and a voodoo doll, respectively. And Gomez is upset that without housekeepers around, they're not going to be able to take their trip to the Okefenokee Swamp. Well, legit reason to be upset. I mean, I yeah. wouldn't go there, but, you know. <laughs> Gomez is so P.O.'d, he could jump up and down screaming pleasant things. But he apologizes for losing his head, which Wednesday thinks sounds fun. I'm more amused over it's like the fact that it's like, I'm so upset I could jump up and down saying pleasant things. And it's like, not in front of Wednesday. <laughs> now, we should mention that this is definitely still very much the 60s interpretation of the Adamses. Not just in terms of of voices, but in that Wednesday isn't quite yet the creepy, emotionless child that Christina Ricci popularized. Yep, she's actually pretty pleasant, for the most part. Not that Ricci's Wednesday is unpleasant, just different. (laughs) Well, yeah, pretty much. But I mean, this one's more positive and kind of happy-go-lucky, so to speak. And the loving Adams couple reflect on how cheerful she's growing up to be and hope they have better luck with Pugsley. <laughs> I, I think the f- the most interesting thing about the Adams family in general is the fact that 
they're deemed weird by outsiders, but to be quite honest, they're honestly probably the, despite all the macabre, despite all the weird things they do, they're actually probably one of the most loving families on TV. To be sure. Maybe that's one of the things that make them weird is how just open they are about it. Speaking of Pugsley, they have to dig him out of his sandbox where he was attempting to dig to China. Yep. Gomez and uh, Morticia inform him of how that's just an old wives' tale and not, you can't really dig to China. Should have told him that. However. (laughs) Yeah. A Chinese kid actually pops out of the sandbox and a dejected Pugsley says he can't play with him on his parents' say-so. An Asian kid by voice, obviously voiced by Casey Kasem, with a faux accent. Not exactly the thickest accent, thankfully. And the kid isn't drawn wearing an over-the-top outfit or in a in a truly offensive art style. I mean, look, this is the opinion coming of a from a white guy, so uh, your mileage will vary. I, but... I'd say I'd say his design looks like something out of. The Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan, for what that's worth. (laughs) Which, honestly, while has issues, is not as bad as it could have been, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah, this could have been far, far worse. The accent is light. Yeah. And, and again, (laughs) he's not squinty-eyed. No. Also, we're spending so much time with the Adams Family before introducing them to Scooby and the gang, that pretty much exposes this as a clear pilot for the eventual Adams animated series that Hanna-Barbera would produce. Which uses pretty much the same character designs, but unfortunately not the actors from the movie, not the actors from the TV show, except I think they may have gotten Uncle Fester still. Because mm. I know John Aston isn't in it. It's instead like Lenny Woodgrip, and it sounds horrible. <laughs> oh. So, as Gomez and Morticia ponder their situation... They reveal Lurch was rounding up new housekeepers, just as Lurch himself leads the Scooby gang to the front door. The end of the line. I wish he wouldn't say it that way. He pulls the noose to sound a foghorn, which cues more puns. And Shaggy wants nothing to do with the house, climbing up a pole, only to be scared by the gargoyle perched on it. I I also want to give at least a little props to the artist because the sinister like smirk that Lurch gives like when he opens the door is actually really good. (laughs) Fair. However, Shaggy gets so scared by the gargoyle, he runs straight into the house. Yeah, right past Gomez and Morticia who thought he was a pleasant, cold, clammy draft. (laughs) Only for Shaggy to get stuck in what seems to be a statue of Probably some questionable portrayal of some Indian god or something. The cartoon identifies it as being from Bali. But again, Uh, questionable. It's got multiple arms. That's close enough, right? Daphne puts two and two together, and they realize it's the Adams house. And the clan introduces themselves, including Thing, and even Cousin It! Much to uh, Scooby's surprise. Yeah. Now, just a little uh, personal note. When my mom was growing up and watching the Adams original run on TV, she always made a point to tune in when Cousin It appeared. Everybody loves Cousin It. Yeah, adorable little guy. Played by Snoop Dogg in the most recent animated outing. Because why not? <laughs> if you're going to celebrity stunt cast, at least do it on a, on a character whose voice isn't so iconically ingrained into the culture. 
Looking at you, Chris Pratt. Mushroom Kingdom, here I come. Anyhow, the gang insists they should depart, citing the constant wolf howls is why. And we find it's just Grandma listening to her records. Hey, whatever helps you sleep. Or relax. And so, Gomez and Tish quick talk their way into leaving the house in the care of the Scooby gang before they can protest. Oh, well. (laughs) It's a fairly uh, comical misunderstanding that... That only the the oddball Adamses can get away with. You know, they really wanted this vacation. And to be quite honest, I'm going on vacation soon, so I can sympathize. Yeah. <laughs> Jaggy's just not settling for it until he runs into Lurch again and just decides to ask where the guest towels are kept. Yep. I mean, would you tell him off? Because I sure wouldn't. Nope! <laughs> I, I also like that they're... Uh, I like that the Adams family car looks like a hearse because mm. of course it does well yeah yeah it's roomy they got a big family they need the space actually you heard that you can buy like uh used hearses pretty cheaply oh maybe that's what i should do if i ever need a new car yeah admittedly tempting so everyone says goodbye including thing who gomez asks to lend a hand to the housekeepers and Thing gets a jump start on that helping out by trying to revive a fainted Scooby. It's also worth mentioning that I do like that they're kind of keeping with the uh, TV show gag of how Thing works. Since technology was not, and budget wasn't quite as high for the original Adam Family show, the deal with Thing was he'd just pop out of any random box or opening that you could possibly find. In comparison to what happened in the... uh, what, the movies. Movies, live action movie and on where he's literally just this disembodied hand that walks around everywhere. Yeah, animatronics really advanced in 30 years. So back inside, Fester welcomes the, the Scooby crew to dinner with the usual weird results, including the table thinking there's a spirit reading going on and levitating, and Shaggy's food being scarfed by Cleopatra, a, um, uh, do we call it a mad-eating plant when it's eating just about anything? Maybe it's a Jupiter fly, fly, uh, fly eater plant. Mm. I don't know. Also, Fesser asks them to break bread with them, but Shaggy's having a real tough time breaking that bread. Yeah. It's harder than hardtack. Also, regarding the Jupiter plant, uh, do we have any Roman gods to test that on? After they settle down the levitating table, the squawking of what could be a giant bird startles the crew, and I'm all... Like, with everything else they've seen that night, this is what faces them? Well, Scooby Gang knows knows the sound of a vulture when they hear one, and vultures typically don't mean something good when they're around. Scooby hides in Cleo's dirt, leading to more puns. And eventually the lights go out, as traditional horror settings would do. And as Thing relights the candles, it turns out Wednesday is missing, with a note from the Vulture. Sounds like a villain from Josie and the Pussycats. More like a villain from the other comics company. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> hi, hi, Spidey. Yeah. Anyhow, the gist of the note is, uh, get lost, Adamses. They're really picking the wrong family to try to scare, you know that? <laughs> no kidding. But luckily for them, there are scaredy cats present as Shaggy tries to retreat 
And when he's asked if he wants to see Wednesday again, he replies yes. And Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, too. <laughs> but Fred and the girls are resolute in wanting to help the Adamses find what the missing Wednesday. And we get one of the few times where Velma is split up with Shaggy and Scooby rather than going with Fred and Velma. Yeah, this was semi-frequent early on, but would become less and less so as the years went on. Ended up just being Fred and the girls. Lucky Fred. <laughs> yeah, beat me to it. Velma, Scoob, and Shaggy are assigned to the upstairs, while Fred and Daphne search the ground floor. And Velma says whoever did it doesn't have a ghost of a chance. Cue Scooby fainting. Like, even the slightest mention of a slight horror element has just gotten Shaggy and Scooby on edge. They're more on edge than usual in this. Yeah. I can blame them. Fred and Daphne wind up in the study with gruesome family portraits and a self-playing organ. Given where they are, they don't even get that spooked. Just bewildered. I'm surprised they even got bewildered considering how many times, like, the player piano has been used in just Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, or really any Scooby-Doo show, to be honest. Fair. Meanwhile, upstairs, Shaggy and Velma are having candle difficulties, and an animated suit of armor scares the trio off once Shaggy relights the candles. Kind of ironic, since an animated suit of armor is literally the first uh, bad guy in the original Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Yeah. The Black Knight. Velma calls the running off when she sees it's not behind them, but later <laughs> discovers it's now floating above them. That's admittedly a decent twist. Yep, and one of the advantages of it being the Adams family house is they don't have to give it any explanation for any of the weird going-ons. It's just... Yep. <laughs> the suit of armor crashes empty. This gag could have been a little shorter for me personally... I, I just like how they don't even try to go with the whole, like, there's no such thing as ghosts for this whole episode. <laughs> and then, you know, not acknowledge anything they saw in this entire episode either. Basically. And that's a video I should do every time that a real ghost has appeared in Scooby-Doo before Zombie Island. Not the swamp. Well, boy, short trip. Gomez and Morticia are contentedly fishing and enjoying each other's company. They're savoring the miserable atmosphere and things like quicksand hopscotch and giving toads warts. That's a talent. Fortunately, Gomez gets a really good catch. An yeah. Octopus, to be exact. This has Gomez ecstatic, whereas my pedantic brain is wondering how an octopus got into a freshwater swamp. Just be glad that this isn't a Japanese production. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I know, I know, never let the details get in the way of a gag, but still, I'm a details guy. I feel you on that. But hey, it is a good gag. Yeah. The the octopus pulls Gomez under, there's a fight, then Gomez gets shot back out of the water and onto the log and is distraught over the fact that he got away. Specifically, he himself got away. Yep. And we're going to get away for a short commercial break right now. More Scooby-Doo after these messages. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, give Rankin-Bass credit for trying, but mixing the works of Edward Lear, Ogden Nash, and Lewis Carroll with a Lappin-style format was maybe too ambitious for Saturday Morning Fair. Still, the Tom Foolery Show did just that in 1970, 
And this British-made cartoon is now all but forgotten today. Was this fair to the umbrageous umbrella maker? Find out along with us in two weeks. Now back to Scooby-Doo! So as the loving couple wonders how the housekeepers are doing, we quick transition to Fred and Daphne being chased by a flying carpet. Also not the first time this has happened, but... Fortunately, Fred remembers the words open sesame and, well, yeah, that op- that worked. <laughs> because of course it would. It op- they open a secret door and Fred closed sesames it behind them to keep the carpet away. And there they find a hall of doors, doors, and more doors. And for a second, I thought we were going to get the famous Scooby-Doo doors sequence. Or un- well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your opinion, we do not. Yeah. That does remind me of one of the things I like in uh, What's New Scooby-Doo is they have the Scooby-Doo doors literally in the intro. (laughs) But they check a door marked closet and they find skeletons. Official family skeletons. I demand to see their license. Well, if there's any family I'm not surprised that has skeletons in their closet, literally, it is the Adams. Well, better literal ones than figurative ones. Well, or you can watch the Beetlejuice cartoon where it literally does both. In the underworld, if you tell a lie, you get a skeleton in your closet that will go around telling people that you lied to them. Another door is marked Wednesday's Pet Corner, and they hope she's there. And I feel sympathy pains already for what might happen, knowing Wednesday's taste in pets. Yeah, because in there is a dragon that looks like he's breathing fire out of his nose. And they swear they saw that dragon, and they get scared off, only to run into Pugsy's lab. Where they find various animals giving the wrong animal sounds. (laughs) Yeah, you see, they reason that Wednesday might have stumbled in there, or the kidnappers shoved her in there and transformed her since Pugsy once turned her into a a bird of some sort, and they had to keep her from flying south. (laughs) But what they find are a monkey that roars... A mouse that neighs, and a parrot that's actually a mailman insisting on finishing his route. Rule of three! <laughs> I don't know, that could just be a really talented parrot. Those things are smart. <laughs> True. So as Fred and Daphne decide to bolt, turns out the door lock behind them, and Fred's attempts to force it open triggers an alarm and a slide trap. If this was a more modern Fred, he'd probably be complimenting that trap. <laughs> no kidding. That's a really nice trap. So the gangry groups mulls their options, including seriously considering a want ad. I just want to say I want that freaking chess set that Shaggy's playing. Yeah, it's a nice chess set. It even plays itself. And the knights seemingly give commentary, or at least neigh at you. Yeah. After performing an illegal move, the table floats off to a door, locking it behind itself. Velma wishes for her skeleton key, and the mention of skeletons scares Scooby through the locked door. So when they go. Yep. Like I said, Shaggy and Scooby are even more on edge than usual. And they're given even more reason to be on edge, because they wind up in Gomez's bedroom. Which has a mace, and uh, yeah, <laughs> just laying on the floor there. We always knew Gomez was kinky, but my god! Tish, hit me with the mace again! (laughs) 
But anyhow, Shaggy decides he's going to try the bed, claiming to be on pins and needles ever since they got there. Wow, what a way to telegraph a gag. Yep, because fortunately Scooby notices what's going on and moves the bed before Shaggy can lay on it, because the bed is full of spikes. Yeah, we get more puns based around Indian holy men. Like, no wonder they're holy. These spikes are sharp. And Scooby gets a Scooby snack for saving Shaggy from the spiky bed. But a taxidermied moosehead eats the snack instead. There's that dang moose again! Hey there, Rocky. I'm just trying to make money. The residuals aren't doing so good lately. (laughs) Or at least we think it's taxidermied. It's just a real moose hanging out. Since the atoms don't hurt animals for sport. (laughs) Alright. That's awesome on their part. Yeah. I, I really don't like taxidermied animals. They creep me out. Upstairs, Shaggy accidentally sits on Wednesday's voodoo doll. The first real clue they've actually found. Scoop sniffs it for her scent, but absorbs some of its hair into a mustache, sneezes, and reveals another note in the doll from the vulture. That's one hell of a sneeze. He made the whole doll freaking explode. Yeah. Second sniffs the charm on the scent, or so we think, as off Scooby goes to the kitchen for soup. Or so he thinks. He drinks the whole thing, only to find out that it was uh, the bathwater for for Grandma's iguana. And Scooby's face turns iguana green at that thought. Hey, if the iguana was in it, that technically would make it a broth of sort, wouldn't it? True. But they're not in Tijuana, so no reason for barbecue iguana. <laughs> nice. When Scooby's looking for a place to to uh, relieve himself from his sickness, he falls down an open shaft and comes back via a birdcage-shaped elevator. Alrighty. It leads to the belfry, where a massive padlock is on a door, which Velma picks with a, with a handy hairpin. And why didn't she use that when she was looking for a skeleton key? Well, she probably didn't have time to think of it because we already busted through the door. Hmm. Fair. And maybe she's just and maybe she's just good with padlocks and not actual door locks. Yeah, padlocks are probably bigger. Fortunately, behind that padlock is who we've all been looking for, Wednesday Adams. She's been happily counting yo-yo spins with her pet spider as the yo-yo. Yeah. Yo! Yeah, yeah. We're just a couple of (laughs) yeomen. She explains her chair levitated her into the room, but on her way up, she did spot the vulture. And since you said the vulture, guess what happens? Yep, cue the bird. If the Hayes office would let me, I'd give them the bird. (laughs) And this vulture is massive! It's a big bird. Yeah. And it's coming right for them to lay a giant egg with another note. Wow. Scary. Real scary. Yeah. Just egging them along. Mm-hmm. The note is a final warning for the Adams to clear out. Shag and Scoob do just that, only to get stopped at the front door by an alligator. Or more exactly, a living alligator suitcase. Yep, held by Morticia as she and Gomez return early. That was a short trip. Yeah. The scaredy cats wind up trapped in, in a brachiosaur skeleton. And eventually fainting spell number 47 commences. With a really 
weird set of music and wavy psychedelic effect to it. Yeah, no real explanation for that either. To Shaggy and Scooby's credit, if I suddenly was inside the uh, rib cage of a fossilized living dinosaur, I'd probably faint too. So the Adamses are wondering why the Vulture wants them to leave. As Gomez remarks, the world is full of strange people while he reads a newspaper while standing on his head. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, if these if these people really wanted to scare the Adams, maybe they should have just sent a squad of Girl Scouts into the house or something. I would have had uh, the song It's a Small World uh, on full blast 24-7. That would scare anybody. I, I, I do know that there was literally an episode of the uh, original Adams Family TV series where Pugsley became a Cub Scout or Boy Scout, and it really upset Gomez and Morpticia. Hmm. To the point to where they got a, they actually got a, they got a therap, they got themselves a child therapist to talk to them, but that's beside the point. So Shag and Scoob try to leave yet again as the uh, the remaining trio go to check the basement, and it's at this point I can't hold this any longer. Why aren't the Adamses actually helping them? That's a legit good point. So Fred and the girls run into Cousin It in the basement, and we get more puns about eerier decoration instead of interior decoration. Maybe they were trying... Actually, now that I think of it, maybe they were trying to pay the pay the multiple voice actors in this, or multiple actors in the, and actresses in this as little as possible. Mm, maybe. But Shag and Scoob find the flying carpet by accident, and it flies them right out of the house. Yep. And Scoob sneezes them back to the house, and there's that violent sneeze again. Scooby needs to get that checked out. Yeah. But I, I feel a allergy season's a pain. Oh, and guess what? The Vulture's back! And while this is going on, uh, Fred, Daphne, and Velma also find uh, Uncle Fester's lab and, stum- and decide to light a candle that's not a candle. Yeah, but before that, somehow... The vulture is drawing Shaggy and Scooby up by some force. And this force is pulling them along as it flies across the sky. At this point, all I can do is quote Scooby-Doo himself. Because <gasps> I was confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Fester's lab. Fred finds a candle, lights it. And, of course, when they realize where they are, they realize it's a Roman candle. One explosion leads to multitudes more, and... ah, This should be destroying the house! I know it's the Adams place and it's weird, but come on! (laughs) That's fine. The explosions ground Shag and Scoob into the pool, where we find another octopus. They like those. Oh, yeah. Further explosions hit the vulture in the tail, and it plummets, crashing to the ground, revealing that it's a helicopter piloted by the only other characters we've seen in the show thus far, the previous housekeepers. Yeah. Even for Scooby-Doo, this explanation's pretty Weak. out there. <laughs> yeah. You see, their plot is a series of magnetized cubes they controlled from the vulture to move various objects and frighten the Adamses away. 
you really picked the wrong people to do that with. And the gang real says that explains the chair, the flying carpet, and the mummy. And wait, what mummy? I yeah, I think that something got cut when they made this because Shaggy also references seeing a mummy that we never saw. Because that's what he said before the chair. Before he sat in the chair, he's like, "I'm going to do what that mummy we saw earlier did. Unwind." Yeah. The foul housekeepers didn't want any of the Adams' possessions or the property. They just wanted them gone to not scare the neighborhood kids. Uh, to be honest, they should have been landowners because I, I imagine living next to the Adams would probably be terrible for your property value. <laughs> As the perpetrators just decide, put us in irons, we'll go to jail peacefully. Fred has a better idea. I will give credit to these guys. They're at least willing to. They're at least will. They were just willing to say, "Yeah, look, we're we're wrong. Take us to jail." They weren't like you meddling kids or anything. They're like, "No, no, we were wrong." So Fred's idea is putting the various oddities of the mansion to use as a makeshift playground. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'd go to that playground. So would I. It works, and the would-be saboteurs are satisfied, and all is well. Yep. The Scooby gang says their goodbyes to the Adamses, and we get the now requisite everybody laughs ending. Except it isn't quite the end, as Lurch has to get the mystery machine unstuck. Which he does quite well. Yeah. We get one final gag of Shaggy needing to light a candle to read a map, and of course it's one of Fester's. End with psychedelic explosion. Mm-hmm. So, that's our episode, and, uh, by the standards of the period, this is a bit of a mess. I also want to know why they kept, why they took so many of the frickin' fireworks from Uncle Fester with them when they left. It's a good question. <laughs> Where the heck are they going? <laughs> well, really, the Adams family seems to be used less than their actual house, which feels like a massive missed opportunity. Giving them more time to be used in gags would have probably helped the pacing of the episode which felt drawn out in places. Which happens a lot in this series, unfortunately. Yeah. And also, having Shaggy accompanied by, say, Pugsley to bounce his scaredy-cat routine off of would have at least added some variety to the proceedings. Yeah, or Uncle Fester would have been good, too, for that. Or Grandma! Or, heck, even Lurch! Yeah. So what could have been a really atmospheric episode, just felt flat yeah uh, it's a pity yeah the new scooby-doo movies would be the final incarnation of scooby and company to air on cbs when fred silverman moved to abc he brought his biggest success with him and scooby would remain there until the early 80s alongside a growing extended family of pooches and format changes left and right and other additional characters. Yeah. After a few years' absence, there'd be a revival on ABC with a pup named Scooby-Doo. Eventually, Turner would buy Hanna-Barbera, Time Warner would buy a Turner, and Hanna-Barbera with it, and Time Warner would peg Scooby as one of their main breadwinners from the Turner purchase, alongside Tom and Jerry. And those two properties have remained at the forefront as far as the legacy properties they picked up are concerned. Yeah, well, at least we got Jellystone and we did get a Wacky Races revival at one point. So True. I, I would 
I would love to see more of the Hanna-Barbera characters used in these shows, but this is better than they were doing for a long while there. So. Yeah. Tom and Jerry are in our future, but as for Scooby, like we said at the top of the episode, we'll probably be looking at him next year, around this time. Maybe the, the Scooby-Doo show, maybe Mystery Inc., maybe Be Cool Scooby-Doo. It is worth mentioning that regardless of how, if you like the new Scooby-Doo movies or not, they are ones that a lot of people remember fondly. And Warner would eventually take advantage of that with what has been the latest incarnation of a Scooby TV series, which is Scooby-Doo and Guess Who? Yeah. Yeah, the format was revived in that show with a wide range of celebrity guests, as well as several more DC Comics heroes than just Batman. Though Batman did show up. You'd also yeah. get the odd Hanna-Barbera legacy character, and even Steve Urkel as performed by Jalel White. Oh, shoot. One of my favorite celebrity cooks was in it. Now I can't even remember Alton Brown? Yes, Alton Brown. Alton Brown was in the episode. That episode's crazy, because yeah. Alton Brown is the villain. <laughs> even better, Sandy Duncan made a return appearance, and Mark Hamill got to appear as himself making those two the only two guests to appear in both Scooby-Doo and Guess Who and the new Scooby-Doo movies. Also interesting, um, Mark Hamill was, they do a running gag of Mark Hamill not wanting them to reference Star Wars throughout the entire episode. Hmm. I'm not sure I blame him. And occasionally, like with Alton Brown, the guest would even be that episode's monster! Yeah, um... Another example is Malcolm McDowell is in an episode. He's the villain. He ends up being the villain at the end, too. And I'm like, well, of course he is. It's Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to have Malcolm McDowell in an episode and not have him the villain? The celebrity guest format also lent itself to the direct-to-DVD movies with the likes of Kiss, Elvira, Bill Nye, John Cena, and several other WWE stars of the era. And, of course, Batman crossing over with Scooby and crew. It's interesting, too, because this means Scooby-Doo has now crossed over with three completely different versions of Batman. Yeah, that, that direct-to-DVD movie would be the Batman Brave and the Bold incarnation. Right. The version that's in Scooby-Doo and Guess Who is based off of Justice League action, which is cool because we still get Kevin Conroy as Batman, mm -hmm. even though Justice League action was kind of a eh show. Yeah, with an even more eh time slot. Yeah. It also had Mark... Mark Hamill's actually in that episode, too, because he, he reprises his role as the Joker in it. Mm. You guys see with Joker and Daphne uh, exchanging beauty tips. Oh, no. <laughs> Which gets a great delivery from Mark Hamill in that. Also, a brief moment where, uh, this, where Velma <laughs> kind of scares Batman for a second. Hmm. Because there's a there's a scene where uh, they find out that uh, they find out that the plot has to do with the Joker's trying to hack into Wayne Enterprises. So like Velma contacts Batman, is like Batman, are you familiar with Bruce Wayne? And Batman's like, um, yes, I know of Mister Wayne. It's like, <laughs> well, we think the Joker's trying to steal money for him. Oh, well, <laughs> except it's like. It's, uh, of course, Kevin Conroy, so it's dead serious Batman, so it's, so it's so good. Yeah. Now, as for the Adams family, though, Hanna-Barbera brought the altogether Uki family to their own cartoon a short while later, which we discussed and replaced just about everybody. 
Yeah, I think I think Uncle Fester is still in it, and I think maybe Ted Cassidy as Lurch is still in it, but I'm not sure. I will say that John Aston isn't in it, and yeah, it hurts it bad. <laughs> but John Aston would be in the '90s cartoon Hanna Barbera did when the first feature film with Raul Julia and Angelica Houston made massive box office. And I, I still stand by my statement, the 90s Hanna-Barbera Adams Family cartoon is very underrated. It is actually a really cool show. I actually think it's quite good. Both and, cartoons are admittedly further down the list right now. <laughs> but someday. Also has Jim Cummings as Lurch and Matt. Yeah. Rip Taylor as Uncle Fester and uh, what's her name as Grandma. Rip Taylor actually makes a really good Uncle Fester. In it does. It does. Uh, uh, who, the person who voiced Grandma is going to come to me after we're done recording. I just know it. I can do a quickly. Carol Channing! There you go. And of course, there's also the recent ad- two uh, Adam's Family animated movies that happen. Right. I have not seen those. I've heard mixed things. About- I, heard, I heard the first one was pretty good, and the second one's kind of not so good and we're just on the cusp of the netflix original series wednesday coming along by tim burton which is crazy because i don't think i've ever heard of him directing a tv series before me neither i think that just about sums it up yeah so tis the season shall we go get some frankenberry i'm gonna get some fruit fruit okay have a good night everybody see ya The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.